0: This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide.
1: Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Steve Brearley. He's the CEO and founder of Riverlane. Steve founded the company in 2016 based on his passionate belief that fault-tolerant quantum computers will be capable of accelerating a significant era of human progress and could be built far sooner than previously imagined. Steve's worked in quantum for 20 years and is an expert advisor to the UK government. He holds a PhD in quantum information and has spent almost a decade in the intelligence community as a senior research fellow at the University of Cambridge, leading major research projects in quantum computing. Riverlane's mission is to fully unlock the massive potential of quantum computing based on a belief that we need around a 10,000 times increase in the size and reliability of quantum computers. Riverlane's playing a key role in achieving this by building Deltaflow.os, the operating system for error-corrected quantum computers. Riverlane works closely with leading quantum hardware companies representing every qubit technology. Welcome, Steve, and thanks for joining me.
0: Hi, Christopher. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for the introduction.
1: So I always like to start the podcast, Steve, by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. My objective is, of course, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you started Riverlane, but also to orient our audience more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could please share with our listeners a bit about your background and path so far, like where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, um, insight into organizations where you worked or have done research.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I got obsessed by quantum mechanics at university. Um, so as an undergraduate um, did this course called Recent Advances in in Mathematics, and they and we covered a few different things. And at the time, quantum computing was recent. It was around the year two thousand. That I got, I kind of became amazed by this theory of of physics. You know, quantum mechanics is a model of the world. It describes uh, what happens to electrons and atoms and molecules, how they interact and and move, um, and and, and it's such a successful model that it's predicted many of the important things that we um, we see around us, you know, the double helix structure of DNA or the entire periodic table. I just thought this was magical. Um, and so got really into uh, quantum mechanics. And, and so the idea at that point of using quantum mechanics to perform computation was pretty wild. And so... And yeah yeah became obsessed by sort of using quantum mechanics as a computer um, initially actually just because i wanted to understand the difference between quantum and classical mechanics and you know at that point the notion that we would ever build a quantum computer was seemed a very far far fetched idea and so to, today kind of being uh, in this field like you know fast forward 20 25 years you know it's um yeah it's it's really amazing
1: Steve, where did you grow up? I mean, obviously you're in the UK. Did you grow up near uh, one of the major universities, or just uh, to... yes?
0: So um, yeah, I grew up um, in Cambridge. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is not a bad university. Um, and <laughs> indeed, uh, uh, yeah, was, went to school here. I you know, was fortunate to be able to see some of the leading academics give talks on on things like cosmology, um, like wh- whether the the universe was was infinite or whether it wrapped around on itself, you know, that was the kind of cool stuff that uh, I was exposed to early on. Um, So kind of knew I wanted to do maths or physics or something like that um, uh, from a pretty early stage.
1: You obviously spent many years in an academic setting, but I'm curious to know, you know, what was the trigger that made you decide to start a company? So, you know, moving from university to private sector, that's a big shift. You know, was there an epiphany in a pub? Did you have a conversation with a colleague? Some accident in the lab, random conversation somewhere with somebody.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been uh, working on quantum algorithms. Um, so, what would you do with a quantum computer once we've built one? Um, at the time, at Bristol University, and was at a conference. I was giving a talk on on a, on this new method, this sort of way of doing distributed quantum computing. Uh, there was a, a straw poll of. It, of the of the audience you know who thought there would be a useful quantum computer in you know, 5 10 15 years time and about a third of the audience voted that there would never be a useful quantum computer wow <laughs> and this was like the great and the good of quantum computing and there i was talking about a new algorithm i was like well am i just developing algorithms for computers that are never going to exist <laughs> and oh, so i uh, went back to bristol and uh Jeremy O'Brien and the team uh, that have now spun out into Psyquantum were working there. And so I got talking with the physicists and was like, well, you know, how hard is it? Like, how how good are you at building a quantum computer? And and how good were you last year? And that's where the data started to emerge. So, so what I saw was that, okay, yeah, it was it's really hard to build a quantum computer, but last year we, we weren't as good as, like each year, I, I saw that people were getting better. And so I started collecting this data of basically mapping out um, for the different qubit types, like how good are, were different physics teams at building the components. So at that point, it was only sort of one, two qubit systems, so very small. And um, I saw this trend that every year, Uh, they were getting twice as good or every 18 months or something and it was a kind of moore's law in quantum computing and that that had actually been going on for about uh, 10 years so since around kind of 2010-ish we started to see this progress and and so um, and, and that if that continued then we could we would get to the point where error correction would become possible and quantum error correction means that we can scale up to much bigger systems. And so actually, like it, it it did look like it would be possible to build a useful quantum computer. And the thing that was missing really was um was the engineering and scale that would come um, once the underlying physics had been solved. And so yeah founded River Lane to try and make that happen um, you know believe that quantum computing will will have a huge impact, and and our job is really to make that happen sooner.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about Deltaflow.OS. So you've stated that solving error correction will be key to unlocking quantum usefulness across a range of foundational challenges. Deltaflow.OS is described as the operating system for error-corrected quantum computers, um, designed to help quantum hardware companies scale faster, reduce errors, of course, and implement practical quantum error correction. Can can you tell me in more detail what this is? How does this operating system work?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the key components are uh, control. So this is um, how we control the underlying qubits. It's triggering um, microwaves or, or low-level pulses. Um, these are sent into a dilution refrigerator in the case of superconducting systems, or they're triggering... Uh, lasers in the case of um, atomic systems Um, so the control is the foundation um, and then built on top of that is is error correction layer is the error correction layer Um, so this is a typically a, a a decoder so the decoder takes the the data coming from control and analyzes that during the computation so whilst the quantum computer is running the decoder is processing that data and correcting the errors in the system in real time. Um, so these are the two key components. And then, of course, there's some kind of system-level tools that that wrap that up. Um, and there are some other bits that that kind of go into that. And sort of over time, I think more and more of the system get, will get built out. But really, I think the core components are, are control and, and error correction.
1: Uh, I, I want to talk about the River Lane and Rigetti Partnerships. I read that Innovate UK is pumping five hundred thousand uh, pounds into a project to tackle syndrome extraction on superconducting quantum computers, and that Riverlane and Rigetti are going to work together on this project. I read the goal is to develop error correction techniques that will use additional qubits called syndrome qubits and measure their status called syndromes to infer the occurrence of errors on the main qubits. So tell me about how this partnership with Rigetti is going to work and how the two companies are going to collaborate.
0: Yeah, sure. So that's a good example of the operating system in in action. So one bit of it, right? So these syndrome extraction circuits are how we read out um, or we infer the errors in the quantum computer. So the really cool thing about quantum computing is that you can't look at the state of the quantum computer. It's not like a traditional computer where you could just go like, oh, hang on a minute, let me look at all of the bits, right. uh, stop the computation, I'm gonna check if everything is correct. You can't do that in a quantum computer um, because as soon as you look at the state, you collapse it, uh, it becomes a, a boring classical computer. So so the question is like, how on earth can you read out, how, how do you do error correction on a quantum computer? Well, it turns out that you can um, read out only the um, presence of errors and not the underlying computational state of the quantum computer. So these syndrome bits are signals that something's gone wrong, but they don't tell you anything about the underlying computation. Um, so this is part of the theory of quantum error correction that's been developed over the last sort of uh, 20 years or so. And so what we're doing with Rigetti is, is implementing that in their system. So that involves some control so it involves uh, measuring these syndrome uh, 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 bits. And, and that's, that's going to be new because you've got to be able to do um, measurements during the computation on some of your qubits and not all of them. Um, so that's called mid-circuit measurements. And, and that's, so that's a kind of technical innovation. Um, and then you take that data, and, and now you need to process it. So there's the, the decoder is processing that, those syndrome bits. And so what the decoder is doing is is figuring out, okay, I measured like a bunch of different syndrome bits. So what do I think is the most likely error um, given my syndrome data? So it's kind of like an inference problem. And me- maybe you could see why now, like this is uh, this is essential for error correction for quantum computing. Is that you know if you could perfectly predict where all of the errors were, you could run your computation forever because you could correct everything. Right. Of course, we can't do that. It's too hard, um, but we can get closer to that. Um, and so that's kind of what the error correction
1: scheme is is all about. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's talk about qubit modalities. We all know there, you know, there are many in the quantum computing space. Um, I think one of the most compelling things for me about deltaflow.os is that you've created this modular operating system that's designed to work with all hardware providers, regardless of the type of qubit. I read you've successfully tested it with uh, multiple hardware approaches, including trapped ions and superconducting circuits. So, tell me how you've achieved such level of interoperability.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so this was a big breakthrough um, that we made about three years ago. When I started the company, I thought that this wouldn't be possible. Um, and actually, I was involved in a, a previous project that um, DARPA had funded, trying to produce a big kind of massive OS that mapped everything to everything. And and the project kind of grew out of all into this kind of monster. And so when I started Riverlane, I was like, look, we're not going to be able to do everything. So we're just going to pick one and figure that out. Um, but we made this big breakthrough three years ago when one of our engineers was in Oxford uh, in the UK, and he visited two different labs. Um, one was an iron trap lab, and the other is a superconducting lab. And he came back to Cambridge all excited and said, They've got the same control electronics. They're just using it to do different physics. Wow. And this was a aha moment for us because we realized that actually the operating system, um, it, it's controlling the classical electronics that sit above the qubits so that you have this kind of underlying physics and on top sits, this control electronics and that's sending microwaves in the case of superconducting or it's controlling lasers in the case of ion traps. But it's a sim- very similar control electronics. And in fact, today there are ion trap and superconducting labs using literally the same boxes, the same control electronic boxes. And so that's allowed us to develop a core, the core of the operating system um, that then gets specialized and, and adapted to a particular qubit type. So, of course, we can't be sort of agnostic to the underlying hardware, but we have to specialize that to the specific qubits. And, um, but that core technology um, is common, and this has a huge advantage because it allows us to invest in in that core um, technology and share that right across the ecosystem. So not just in one particular qubit type.
1: Yeah, that, and so that's So we're true.
0: spreading across the, the cost of um, developing the operating system.
1: Well, fantastic. And I, would, I mean, the implication would be maybe there you know lessons learned and best practices that now become applicable across certainly existing qubit modalities, but ones that we don't know yet, ones that maybe to, to be ex- created.
0: Yes, I, I, and I feel like, I mean, our, our goal is really to help lift up the entire uh, quantum computing ecosystem um, to bring uh, high quality engineering to uh, any um, quantum computing lab, whether that's a, an academic lab or a scale up or a big tech company.
1: Terrific. Let's turn to a tech question for our audience. I want to ask about um, Deltaflow.os and whether it prefers specific SDKs, APIs, IDEs, uh, or there certain languages or libraries like Python, C, C++, Jupyter Notebooks, Julia Libraries, Bash, Penny Lane. How does does Deltaflow.os interact with those kinds of technologies? Uh,
0: Yeah, so we've built uh, the main product as effectively a library in Python, um, because that makes it easy for the uh, labs that we work with to use. So it's as simple as adding a library. And that means that, you know, from that library, you're able to control um, with a huge amount of precision how pulses are triggered, um, the shape of the pulses and so on, and and coordinated on uh, and sent to the underlying qubits. Yeah, in terms of sort of what it's built on, it's uh, obviously, much lower level. So it's typically uh, a Verilog that the actual code is written in um, in, in low-level like FPGA type um, uh, languages.
1: Let's talk clients. The I call this the sixty-four thousand dollars question, based on a TV show in the '60s that ran in the U.S., where the culmination was, "What's really happening?" Um, so I read that Riverlane's working with companies in the chemical, materials, and pharmaceutical industries with companies that include AstraZeneca, Merck, Johnson, Matthey, and Aztecs. Now, without providing any proprietary information, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what kinds of projects you're working on with these companies?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so these are all companies that do discovery at, at the level of molecular systems, Right. You might not think of them that way, but, but actually that's, if you think about the core, that's really what they do. So like AstraZeneca or Aztecs, they're a drug discovery company. So they are interested in how an organic molecule, which could be the basis for a medicine, interacts with a protein. How, how well does that bind? And how does that organic molecule interact with other things in the human body to predict things like toxicity? Because what they really want to do is find something that will have a high probability of success when you get to a phase three trial. right? Because by the time you get to a phase three trial, you've spent like $500 million. right? And, and often these fail, and they fail. So, so if we can so, uh, predict with a higher degree of certainty that this is going to succeed, that could have a huge impact in reducing the cost and timelines for uh, developing new medicines. And then Merck and Johnson Matthew, you know, these are uh, companies that operate in, uh, in the chemical space. So they're interested in how do you use um, developing catalysts to reduce the energy consumption in an industrial process? Um, so that sounds like a bit of a mouthful, but basically what a catalyst does is, is change you, uh, an industrial process, like you're, you're taking some uh, components and trying to create a product. Um, and then you have to put energy in to do that. So if you can find a way of um, reducing those energy requirements, you reduce the cost of producing the product and use less energy, right, which is going to help with uh, climate change. Yeah. And again, that, that all happens at the level of of, of molecules and, and atoms. And so quantum computers are exceptionally good at simulating on a computer quantum mechanics, so kind of come back to this obsession with quantum computing that i had as an undergraduate that really comes from um, being able to simulate the quantum world like the only way we're going to do that is by building a computer that operates according to those same rules that, that like to solve the equations of motion of quantum mechanics we have to build a quantum computer um, and so that's the big impact that quantum computing can have and that's why some of these big corporations that interested in understanding the technology at this point and understanding how it could be used in the future for in their industry.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great working in two important areas too. Congrats on that. Continuing sort of on the topic of real world applications, right? I read that late last year, Riverlane joined a 7.5 million pound consortium to build an error corrected quantum processor for new applications in the aerospace industry. So worth noting that the funding came from the UK government's National Quantum Technologies Program, a very active promoter of quantum investment, right? Mm. Um, One of the members of the consortium, Rolls-Royce, stated that they're interested in using quantum computers to develop more sustainable and efficient jet engines. Now, I read that consortium is a mix of diverse stakeholders, academia to government, of course, to private sector companies. But tell me about the work that this consortium is focused on and certainly what the challenges as well as benefits are of working with such a wide range of stakeholders, from your perspective.
0: Yeah, so that's a great example of the full supply chain coming together to build an early prototype, um, and I think this is really where Quantum is moving ahead. Um, is that you know we are showing the first demonstration of systems and being applied to you know scaled down or or small scale prototype uh, use cases. Um, so you've got. Right at the top, you've got Rolls-Royce, and they're sort of acting as an early customer because, as you said, they're interested in in, um, more efficient jet engines. Um, So that's an example where quantum computing could have a big advantage. And, of course, Rolls-Royce already do uh, a huge amount of simulation work on HPC systems. So a very uh, well-educated and um, highly sophisticated early adopter of quantum. So that's fantastic for us to understand how's this use case going to really be applied like like it's more complicated than just solving a technical problem like how's this going to fit in with the overall workflow like where's the real value what are the other problems that need solving from a business perspective and then yeah so that in in that project we're um very fortunate to work with an iron trap company called universal quantum and some of their suppliers um, so it's a great example in the uk kind of ecosystem of pulling together that complete supply chain. To build an early uh, prototype.
1: Where are you with the with the work? Can you share sort of progress or status, or when there might be a work product or deliverable you can point to?
0: Um, yeah, so uh, that project started uh, not that long ago, but yeah, we're. Um, yeah. uh, so put you on the <laughs> spot. I never want to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just yeah, curious. I'm probably get
1: you. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> um, here. Yeah.
0: I don't want to get, <laughs> get in trouble the team right here, but um, no, I, I think the, so the exciting thing is is going to be a, the, the first step is sort of overall architecture for the system, um, because there's a lot of um, really interesting uh, places to optimize. You know, when you start combining the, the full stack, you can see that uh, if we were to to use um, this particular type of error correction, that could utilize uh, some of the unique capabilities that uh, the universal quantum system has so different qubit types have different um characteristics you know some are some find certain operations easier than others so if you can exploit those in the error correction then we could get to a larger scale system sooner Um, but so we're going to be developing an architecture for this system as a first step
1: yeah now that makes sense I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Riverlane and finding talent. So you certainly have a unique position being in Cambridge, which by default sort of gives you access to some really smart and talented people. But I just want to get your take you know, on how you go about recruiting for your company. And are there any disciplines where finding talent is more difficult um, than others?
0: So I chose to um, found Riverlane in Cambridge for a very specific reason. In order to solve error correction in quantum computing, we need to combine two things. The first is, of course, a deep understanding of quantum error correction, so those quantum computing experts. But the second is the implementation of that requires uh, chip design um, expertise from the semiconductor industry. And there aren't many places in the world where you have those two things, actually. Um, in fact, Cambridge is very unique. So the top chip design pl- cities in the world, you know, places like Silicon Valley, Austin, Texas, Mumbai, Cambridge, right? So companies like Armour here. And then when you look at uh, the, air, the quantum computing expertise, again, that's really strong in, in the UK. And then the other thing the UK has are lots of different qubit types. And this, this great kind of, Combination of ideas um, is, makes the UK a really strong place to be building uh, Riverlane, and, and in fact, I think this is the only place in the world where we could have got to this this advanced stage that we're at. So we hire uh, not just quantum computing experts, but um, also experts from who have backgrounds in, in chip design, in classical computing. Uh, we have a whole a bunch of different skills that are needed, and I, I think this is really strong point in time in in quantum computing, bringing in those skills. Um, So people at Riverlane used to work at companies like ARM, at Microsoft, at Synopsys, you know, the the companies in the semiconductor space. So in terms of like sort of hiring challenges, well, you know, I think sometimes there's a bit of a barrier for people to realize that their skills could be applied in, in quantum. So one of the Things we try to really promote is like you don't need to be an expert in quantum to have a massive impact in quantum, right? You can come and learn about quantum computing, but really what we're interested in is how do you design, how do you get a, a, the operating system to run um, at two megahertz? How do we decode these problems fast enough, right? Because the data is coming out of the quantum computer at such a rate, we need to solve these decoding problems very quickly. Like that's an important problem uh, and, and huge challenge. Uh, to solve so so there are really great um problems that kind of what we and what we try to do is carve these out and and describe them in the right kind of in the the sort of language that uh, people are used to
1: yeah great well thank you for sharing that perspective i like to end the podcast by asking my guest to wax philosophic if you will and share their vision of where quantum computing might be in maybe three to five to ten years and more broadly you know what kind of impact do you think it will have on how we live and work what's your take
0: yeah so over the next 3 years we're going to get to the first error corrected system so these are going to be qubits where the errors are being processed in real time and this is going to be a massive achievement a real kind of first major step in in quantum computing because that's going to unlock then the next 10 years and and for me in 10 years time when we have uh, large-scale error-corrected systems, you know, companies or people um, developing new, uh, tr- who, who are currently discovering new medicines or new materials or new catalysts will be able to, for the first time, use computer simulations to design those products. So just like in the aerospace industry, where at the turn of the century, you know, the Wright brothers discovered flight, Today, the aerospace industry uses computer simulations to model the physics, to design airplanes, and they kind of work first time. Right. And you compare that to drug discovery or materials discovery, like that's really been left out. Um, and the reason is we can't currently uh, simulate the underlying physics. And So in 10 years time, we will be able to do that with the quantum computers that we're building today.
1: Uh, Fantastic. Well, Steve, thanks so much. I I really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks for sharing that perspective. Uh, Really, really interesting. And I look forward to, you know, in 10 years when we can take advantage of that kind of capability and how it's going to change how we live and work and the the possible improvements to, uh, you know, human, the human situation. I think it's very exciting.
0: Thank you. Yeah. It's a great problem to be solving. I mean, it's, Really is really hard, but it's great fun to
1: be doing it. Yeah, well, thanks to you and your team for leading the efforts. Thank you. Steve, I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm going to point our listeners to your website, uh, riverlane.com. Uh, you also have a Twitter handle at riverlane underscore io. So, encourage listeners to follow you there. I just want to say thanks again, Steve, for joining me today, and thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Steve. Learn more about our upcoming Inside Quantum Technology event as well, which focused on quantum cybersecurity. It's going to take place in New York, October 25 through 27. You can get more info and register at iqtevent.com fall. Please listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already, and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been
0: listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology.
1: For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.